So raise your hand if you've ever been in like a near-death experience. I was expecting at least, yeah, yeah, okay, good. Near-death experiences. Totally. Um, okay, now we're all going to share. No. <laughs> um, I think that is, I expected to see a lot of hands, um, and regardless whether our ages vary from really young, five years old, to 50, to 70, um, I think that just shows the, 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 the fragileness of life, right? Um, you read this text, and it is. It's a near-death experience. It's like a, whoa, you know? Um, this guy just got saved. He just got his call, and he almost went home. And, and I think um, I'm glad that Luke recorded this near-death experience because this is going to be the first of many. I think when you read a text, you want to see what's plain and what's obvious. Um, so I do think that when Luke penned this, earlier in chapter 9, Jesus said, I will show him, I think it's verse 16, I will show him how much he must what? Suffer. I think when you read a verse like this, it goes contrary to what a lot of pastors preach in churches when they say, if you come to the Lord and you receive Jesus and you sow your seed in faith, you can expect health and wealth and good vibes and good times. It's going to be all good because God is good. And everyone's like, all the time. You know, it's, it's this very, um, you know, a walk with the Lord. It's like you're skipping and it's, woo, you know. And, and then you read texts like this. And it, it almost seems like it doesn't look like that. You read a text like this and you know it becomes obvious. A walk with the Lord, the Christian journey, it's dangerous. I mean, it's, it's risky. It, it, it's, a, it's an adventure. But at the same time, it's like, whoa. Paul, who is also Saul, when he writes a lot of his letters, you know, he's not very quiet about suffering. You know, Jesus even said to his disciples when he knew that they were going to be a little bit shook when he left, he was like, I say these things to you so you'd have peace. In this life, it's going to be hard. You're going to have tribulation, but take heart, disciples. Why? I've overcome the world. Jesus is not silent about suffering, and he's not silent about pain. He's not quiet about the hard times of life. And, so, and Saul isn't either. Paul isn't either. Let me read you a snippet from his mail because I've been snooping through his mail recently. Um, if you want, any of his, you, want, you want to see all his text messages, I'll show you where they are. Um, this one, though, in... Um, 2 Timothy 3.12, he's writing, he's texting a young pastor, and he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be, not might be, will be persecuted. It's like, whoa. It's not even those who are living the godly life. It's just you desire it. You have a desire, an inkling, a want to follow Christ. Expect this. It's going to be hard. Let me read you another snippet of his text messages. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 this is when he's speaking about how much he suffered as an apostle. This is the man who we're talking about that got thrown in the basket. This is the basket case. He said, far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings. He's speaking about himself. I was often near death. This is the first time we're seeing he was near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not that kind. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day. 
I was adrift at sea, frequent journeys, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in cities, danger in wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger, danger. He's trying to make a point. Verse 27, toil and hardship. I had many sleepless nights. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was often without food. I was cold. I was exposed. And apart from other things, apart from all this suffering that I was experiencing, there was the daily pressure on me of just being anxious for all the churches. Verse 29, he says, who's weak? And I'm not. Who's made to fall? And I'm not indignant. Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of all the things that show my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows. I'm not lying to you guys. And then he finishes his list with our text tonight. He says, and at Damascus, if I, I almost forgot about this one. The governor under the king, Aretas, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window and a wall, and I escaped his hands. I mean, you read a text like this, and, and something that becomes very obvious is a walk with the Lord is dangerous. Maybe you're thinking like, gosh, Chris, why would you start a message like this? Don't, I thought you want us to follow Christ, and I do. Why does Jesus talk like this? Why does Paul talk like this? Why do these guys even keep going? I mean, Saul just came to follow Christ, and now he's getting death threats. Why doesn't he shake his fist at God and be like, what's going on? Why are you doing this to me? What keeps these apostles, these disciples, these saints, what keeps us walking? Maybe you're here tonight, and you've ever, you, maybe honestly, have you ever wondered? Have you ever thought of Christians and be like, why are why, why are they so passionate about praising this Jesus? Why would they keep suffering for this man, this name? That's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to look at this, but we're also going to look at some of Saul's mail because I think it gives great insight, perhaps, what he was believing and feeling and thinking in a moment like this when he was getting a death threat for the cause of Christ. Why do you keep going, Saul? And in short, he would say, and we'll look at it, but in short, he'd say, because he's worth it. Because he's worth it. He saved me. He stopped me on my sinful way, and he didn't have to. I deserve to perish. I am under the wrath of God, and he's worth it. He's worth suffering for. How do the disciples say things like when they got beaten in lickings, for preaching Christ, they said, wow, they rejoiced because they counted themselves worthy to suffer for the name. Like, those are texts in the Bible that I would honestly read and have a hard time with. I would not get it. And Saul's life, Paul's letters helps us, I think. And I hope it's going to help us to see that regardless of how dangerous and risky the journey is, and it is, and, and regardless of how hard persecution might be, and guys, our times, it's getting more dangerous to carry the name of Christ. That all of us would, like Saul, come to this place of saying, I count him worthy. He's worth it all. If there's a question I hope stirs your meditations tonight and your thoughts, is do you really believe he's worth it all? Is Christ worth it? Is, can we say with Saul, with Paul, to live as Christ, to die as gain? 
we're going to see that Saul believes Christ is worth it because he knows that no one and nothing else, not his, not his religious record keeping, not his good works, not his social status, not anything in his life, not how much money he has, not how cool he is, not how good looking or not he is, nothing and no one in this life can save him from the wrath of God, from the wages of sin that earns death. No one and nothing can save him from that except who? That's why he's saying he's worth it all. I will gladly walk into fire because I believe that in the end, I might suffer in this life. These light and momentary troubles, they're going to fade away. And sooner than later, when the death threat is real and I breathe my last, to live is Christ to die is gain. He's better. And we don't want to breeze through things like this in the scriptures. This is good stuff. We as believers, as followers of Christ, if this is true to us, we need to learn to suffer. And suffer well and suffer with joy because we know that our, our, our heart, our heaven is not here. We're going to see four things. The first thing we'll see is day by day Saul grew strong in the Lord. The second thing we'll see is that everything that was a gain to Saul is now a loss for the sake of Christ. Everything that was a gain to Saul is now a loss for the sake of Christ. The third thing we'll see is the Lord decides when you and I go home. The Lord decides. And the last thing we'll see is God is sovereign over the plots of the wicked. So let's walk through this. A few texts. It shouldn't be too long. Verse 23. You guys brought this observation up. Many days had passed, so I thought to myself... I wrote in the margin, how much days? One, two, three. Why did Luke keep it open-ended? But we get some clues from the Bible. Interpret Scripture with Scripture. Always do that. Use the Bible to understand the Bible. Write this down or listen to it. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. This gives us a hint as to probably how many days had passed. Verse 15 says, When he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, this is Paul speaking, when Jesus saved me, when he stopped me on the road to Damascus and was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, he says, I did not immediately consult anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia, which is not far from Damascus. You look on the map, it's really close. So he dipped out of Damascus, went to Arabia, and then he returned again to Damascus, verse 18, after three years. Then I went to Jerusalem. So it's, it's a nice clue for us to see that, yeah, these many days is probably three years. And then I have the question, well, what is doing in Arabia? And so do all the other theologians and scholars. What was he doing? And some were like, oh, he was, you know, getting that compensation three years that he didn't have with Christ on the earth because all the other apostles walked with Jesus three years and saw never get nothing, so he needs three years with Jesus. Go, Arabia. That could have been happening. He could, that was his mini seminary or, or just time with Jesus to go. He could have just had three years of silence, being in, in meditation and prayer. I mean, his conversion was major. And, and, and just uh, Ephesians 3.3 3 says that the, the mystery of the gospel, it was revealed to me. So perhaps this was three years of that revelation really getting marinated. Some say, oh, he was on a preaching spree. He was like, I'm going to Arabia and just preach, preach, preach. And maybe all those three things happened. But what I want to point out is as the days went on, 
Saul was growing stronger in the Lord. Why? Because look, by verse 25, he already had disciples. You look, it seems like that's the momentum that Luke is trying to communicate. Earlier, when he was weak, he spent time with the disciples, and it says he got stronger. And then he started to go preach, and then he got stronger. And then days has passed, and we know with hints and clues from his letters that he was spending three years, day by day, getting stronger in the Lord. I have a question. Do you know Christ more today than you did yesterday? Are you stronger in your faith today more than yesterday? Are you more resolved in love and joy and peace and hope in Christ today more than yesterday? Guys, don't waste a day. You know how much can happen in a day? I've had a day today. Every day is an opportunity to grow stronger in the Lord. Psalm 90 verse 9 says, All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to the end and sigh. Years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, some can hit 80. We got some 80 in the house, huh? Represent. Um, looking at you, Uncle Moist. <laughs> um, yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they're, they're soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath and your fear, um, according to the fear of you? Verse 12, this is his prayer. So, so, because our days are so fleeting, they come and go. Some hit 70, some hit 80, some don't even reach 7. But because our lives are so fragile, teach us to number our days that we may gain hearts of wisdom. Help us, Lord, to make the most of today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Right now, we rejoice and be glad. Right now, resolve in your heart. Get strong in the Lord, Christian. Oh, I'm so over-wasting my life and wasting days and wasting time. Ephesians 5, verse 5, uh, 15 to 17, it says, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Make the best use of your time. Isn't that a beautiful verse? And then he says this, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. What's the will of the Lord? That that water bottle would fall. The will of the Lord is the word of the Lord. Get strong in the Lord. Be in his word. Be in his presence. Be in prayer. Be in fellowship. How was Saul getting strong as these days were passing? He was applying that Acts 2.42 lifestyle for sure. Colossians 4, continue, or verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, make the best use of your time. How do you do that? Verse 2, continue steadfast in prayer, pray for us that God may open doors for us to declare the mystery of Christ. Teach us, Lord, please, to number our days. When he says number, it's a calculating term. Consider, count, like how are you using every minute, hour of our day? We're either using it wisely or unwise. Time is always coming. Every second that goes by, it's coming. And you don't get it back. 
This is why it's a miracle that God has put it in our hearts to see that this evening, this Wednesday, it's worthy of carving out an hour or so of our time to be in his presence, to be with believers, to be in prayer, and to be in the word. Don't waste a day. Day by day, he grew strong in the Lord. Let's keep going because we only covered five, ver- five words. Many days had passed. He's growing strong in the Lord. The Jews plotted to kill him. Let's go slow here. Who's plotting? The Jews. Who are them? We talked about it. They're the Ju- Judaism, the Judaizers, the, the ones who did not believe Jesus was the Christ. This is the group that Saul was rolling with earlier. Now, I love that Silas pointed out day by day, day and night, they were waiting to kill. Like, these Jews, I just want us to see this first, that they had a special place of fury towards this man. And not just because merely he's a Christian now and that he's zealous and fruitful in his ministry. I'm sure that irritated them, that he was making progression for Jesus. But I think what really burned them, boiled their blood the most, was that it's like, dude, he was one of us. He's a traitor. He's a deserter. He was on our team. You know, sports people, when you, you get rivals and then you join the other team and you show up at the game and they look at you like, what's up, bro? You know, like it's like, it's really, there's this sense of, and they tried to stop him, but they couldn't, so now they're going to resort to kill him. What I want us to understand, though, and see here is to be a Jew, to be a Pharisee. For Saul, this was his life before Jesus. Being Jew was Saul's bragging point, his bragging right. This to him was everything. How do I know that? His text messages. Philippians 3, verse 7 to 11. Let me read it to you. Whatever gain, oh no, verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, like meaning if you can be, you can brag about something, let me, let me, I can brag. I got more stuff to brag about. And then he goes, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, proper Hebrew Jewish boy, consecrated of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. That's like a bangerang tribe. Like, yeah, Benjamin, Benjamite. He was like that. He was like, brah, Benjamite, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as for the law, I was a Pharisee. Check it. I was not just a Jew. I was a Pharisee. And as for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness under the law, I was blameless. This is a group that once held Saul in high regard. In this arena, he was the man. This was everything to Saul being part of this group. Now, he's not welcome. Now, they want nothing to do with him. Now, it's all down down the drain. Everything that was a gain to Saul prior to Christ is now lost. Why? For the cause of Christ. Now I thought to myself, I wonder what went on in Saul's heart and his mind. I mean, when he saw, when he overheard that the, the very group that he once used to roll with now hates him and wants to kill him, was that a bummers for him? Was he like, oh man, like maybe I shouldn't have been a Christian or I don't know. But let me read some more of his text messages. Because later, right after that, he says, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I used to find confidence in all of that, my status, my reputation, 
how good I kept the law. He says, I counted as loss. This is how I see it now, for nothing. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, he goes farther to say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things I'll go farther to say I count it rubbish I used to be so like oh this is life this is everything to me just like me prior to Christ oh soccer is life hooking up is life being cool and popular is life making money is life building a name for myself a rep in this life is life and then Christ comes and I look at that stuff now, and it's like, oh, that's nothing compared to Christ. The King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God, the Christ, co-eternal, co-equal, the maker of heaven and earth, wants me, is with me, forgave me, saved me. And so he has this real shift in his heart. He's like, anything in comparison to Christ, it's got nothing on me now. And then he goes on to further say in his text message, to be found in him, to not have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's what I was trying to do earlier. But a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Christian and non-Christian or anyone who knows Christianity, our righteousness is found in Christ, not of our own doing. It's a gift. It's by faith. You simply trusting and believing that he's perfect and he died for you. That's a gift. That's why it's so good. That's why it's great news. That's why it's news worthy to suffer for. It's a message that we don't go out and tell people, you got to be better, you got to be good enough. And that's how you get to heaven. <laughs> it's a message of Christ, trust in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. And in verse 10, he goes on to say, I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrections. And I want to share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I too may attain the resurrection from the dead. So hear this. Though Saul's life is being threatened, and he's lost all his social status, his former friends, all the perks and benefits from being a Jew and a Pharisee, Saul says in his letters, he's worth it. I'm not getting the short end of the stick here. I'm gaining Christ. Gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Those are big words. But the only question we need to really ask ourselves is do we truly see that? Is that, like, can you read his letters and be like, amen? Because that's Christianity. That's why when Jim Elliot said, he is no fool, the great missionary, right? He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what which he cannot lose. He's no fool to give what he can't keep to gain that which you'll never lose. Everything that was a gain to Saul prior to Christ is now lost. The Jews, they want his head. 
and Saul on this road of pain and suffering and death threats. And we're going to see more as we read, more persecution to come. What gives him resolve to keep on pressing on? He's gaining Christ. He's worth it. Saul's become a one-thing kind of man. He's transformed into a seek-first kind of man. And no matter how risky the road or how marked of suffering the road is, he wants more. And he's pressing on. God help us know this. Let's keep going. So the Jews, they're plotting to kill him. But the plot came known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night, led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, I want us to see that there was that death threat, the, the plot to kill, but, the plot to kill, but, to see from this just that the Lord decides when we go home. Stephen died after his first sermon. The Lord decides that. Um, Saul did it. Saul escapes this. He's going to have more escapes. And just from reading Saul's text messages and letters, Saul's ready to go home. If he got, if this was his time and he died, he was like, I'm, I'm game. Because he's like, if I die, I gain. He, he's, his soul is ready, but his time is not yet. Just something to chew on and think of, because every one of us in this room, we have an expiration date in our life. And the Lord knows. That's why often on my way here to preach and do Bible study, I'll pit stop at the cemetery. Not to be morbid and weird, but I just want to re realize that life is short. And that the these days aren't promised. And that the Lord has numbered my days. And I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to meet my maker. I'm secure in Christ. I know what happens after I die. I'm ready. But the fact that I still have breath is the Lord saying, but not yet. You still have work to do, Chris. How come after Saul got baptized, he didn't just go into the presence of God? How come all of us who got baptized before, how come I think the most recent one was Gabe? I think. How come after Gabe got baptized and he came out of the waters, it was just like, boom, into the presence of God? That would have been epic for all of us if we got baptized like that. Boom, into the presence of God. But why? Why, why did the... Woo, yeah, yeah, and the water comes down, and, and then life goes on. Like, why are we still here? Why are we still breathing? Because we're not done yet. Why did God allow Saul to escape Damascus? Because he's got to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> why are you going to escape Damascus from the Jews and then go to Jerusalem, the hot spot of the Jews? <laughs> well, because Saul knows that the life he lives, it's now not just to live life. It's to carry the name. One of our dear members, I love her, Dolly. She's, she's got to be in her mid-90s, I believe, I think. I went to one of her birthdays. And, um, and she was like, she's like, oh, yeah, come, come, to my next, come to my next birthday in something years, and I'll be 100 or something, something like that. But um, yeah, uh, she's great, such a sweetheart. I took a picture with her, and she did this. She did. I was like, Dolly, you're so cool. And, she, and so anyway, um, just recently this past year, uh, we, she sits right here in service. And mid-90s, she, every step is a pain for her, guys. And she comes faithfully to worship. And she, she was sitting there. And I'll go over and say hi to Dolly. And, and she just looked at me and she's like, I don't know why I'm still here. 
I'm ready to go. <laughs> why is, I don't know why Jesus has me here. And I looked at her. I was like, dog, because you're not done. You got time. You got breath for the older brothers and sisters and members in the house. You're not done. We're not done. None of us are done when God says, until God says, come home, you're, you're racist, pal. Day by day, every day is an opportunity to grow strong in the Lord and an opportunity to send and carry this message. All those near-death experiences that all of us raise our hand, you know why God did not let it happen the way it happened? is because you're not done. And he ain't done. Yeah, I think of you, you young men and women in college, going off to college. Every day, every year, it's a gift. James says it's a mist. Don't boast in tomorrow. We don't know if you have another two or three years. But Lord willing, by his grace, you have a full life. We have a full lives ahead of us. However many days and breath he gives us, he decides when, it's, when we're pal. And if it's not pal, it's not done deal yet, then guess what? We got time. We're not done. The question is, are you ready, though? Are we ready? Saul was ready, but he's not done yet. He writes in his text message to the Philippian church. You can see I was going through his mail a lot. Verse, chapter 1, verse 21, he says, If I'm to live in the flesh, meaning if I'm going to keep living, it means fruitful labor for me, good work, which I shall choose. I cannot tell. I I'm hard-pressed between the two. I, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. That would be far better. So he's ready. He's like, I'm down to go. be far better. But to remain in the flesh, he says, if I'm going to keep breathing and keep living and keep going, if you're going to keep allowing me to escape these death threats, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That's powerful. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, if I got more time, I got more breath, I know what God's telling me to do. I got to keep on and keep encouraging brothers and sisters down here to keep going strong. Brother, sister, wherever you're at in your adventure and your journey tonight, however you're feeling, whatever pain you're going through, God has graced you with breath and life. You keep on, and you keep trekking, and you keep stepping. There's more to be done. Soon we'll rest. Soon we'll be through. God decides. In closing, I want to notice the word plotting. The Jews are plotting. They're conspiring, and they're even conspiring with government against the name. They're conspiring against, they're plotting against Christ and his cause. But God is sovereign over that. He's sovereign over the plots of the wicked, the plots of persecution. If anything, he's so sovereign, he uses these plots and persecutions to advance the gospel. We saw that happen already in the book. I want us to see that the purposes of God can't be thwarted. No matter how much men try to plot, no matter how much men come together or world systems or governments come together to attack the worshipers of God or hinder them from having the liberty to praise the name of Christ, no matter how much the nations plot, it's in vain. God's sovereign over 
that. This is noteworthy. You know why? Because even to this day, there are men that plot against the name and conspire and strategize to hinder the advancement of the gospel. History shows this well. Men and movements and governments and powers have always been at war with Christ since day one, since the garden. Regardless how much plots, regardless how much persecution, regardless how, how much on the surface it looks like the enemy is gaining ground, believer, fret not. God is sovereign over all this, and he's in absolute control. And we keep on, and we carry the name, and we don't lose the faith, and we press through, even if the plots and the persecution keeps coming. And we pray like this. Let's go here to close in, in prayer. Um, go to rewind the tape. Go to Acts chapter 4. We're going to close on this text. Men may plot, but it's going to be plotting in vain. And while they're plotting, we be praying. I imagine this, that while these Jews, these, these men who once were buddies with Paul, Saul, were plotting to kill him, I was imagining him and the disciples praying for them. While they're plotting to take his life, he's praying that Christ would save him. I was just like, I think that's what the church is doing. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, look at what they said, Sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, the one Lord who's in control of everyone and everything. Verse 25, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's what? Plot in what? In vain. The kings of the earth set themselves the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. And truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both upon their threats. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now this is what they do in the midst of all the plotting. Now, Lord... Look upon their threats. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all what? Boldness. They didn't pray for comfort. They prayed for courage. Give us courage to keep carrying the name. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak of the word of God with boldness. I was just imagining while they were plotting and Saul and the boys praying. And I was just thinking, this is how we, NBC, need to be praying. While the world continues to go the way it's going. And men and nations plot in vain against this hated message of Christ. The love of God in flesh coming down. To, to lay himself out as a ransom. And men plot against it and plot against his followers 
There may be a day, think of this, there may be a day we need to let each other down in a basket out of rooms. There might be a day that comes where we're worshiping not in the comfort of this sanctuary, but in someone's basement. We're worshiping at the Dorts tonight. Well, I don't know how it goes. Or um, we're meeting on the hill at the kind, you know. That's, this is real, though. This is happening around the world right now. Are we ready? The world will plot in vain. And the people of God, we will pray in power. And we will overcome. Even though people plot and even though persecution comes, what do we learn this week, children? We go. We go. Make disciples of all nations. We keep going. We keep sending the word. And we know that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Go, go, go. Amen? We'll pause here and we'll repow. We'll pray. And um, as the Spirit of God might have been speaking to you tonight, leading, prompting, um, writing notes, just as we pray, we'll pause for some silence. Then we'll pray. Really ask the Lord to open your eyes to really see that he's worth it. This journey, it's, it's an adventure with the Lord. It's risky. But there's so much assurance there's so much assurance. He who began a good work in us, he'll carry us through. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. It's, it's an exciting narrative. It's, it's wild. And yet, at the same time, it's, it's reality. It's real. The Apostle Paul was truly transformed by the love of God. And even though threats came, plots for his life, suffering, persecution, he did not fear, for Christ was with him. There was a peace of God that surpassed all understanding that he had. It guarded his heart and mind. That's what we want. We want that peace. We want to see your worthiness and that you're worth it all. Oh, Lord, build us up. Don't let us waste a day. Don't let us waste a moment. Let us be a people who grow strong in the Lord so that if pain comes, if persecution comes, knocking on our doors, we're ready. And we're rejoicing. Soon this all will be over. But until then, this is the day that you have made. We'll rejoice, be glad in it, and we'll carry on. Keep us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.